0: Alright, so I'm going to skip the intro for today because it's kind of late where I'm at and I don't want to be super loud right now. So if it's not as energetic and crazy as I normally am when I break down these fights, then forgive me. But, um, you know, we're going to do UFC Vegas 46, Cater versus Chikadze predictions. This fight is going to take place this Saturday, January 15th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's a, it's a five-round main event between top 10 featherweight contenders. You've got the number five-ranked Kelvin Cater, who's coming off that devastating loss to Max Holloway over a year ago, looking to bounce back and uh, you know vault his way back up into number one contender status, title contention. But he's going up against a somewhat UFC newcomer. He hasn't been around for very long, but he is very dangerous. One of the most dangerous strikers in the UFC and probably the most dangerous striker in that UFC featherweight division in the number eight-ranked, Giga the Ninja Chikadze who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and two defeats training under Rafael Cordero at Kings MMA. So without any further ado, let's get this started. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna do a full breakdown on the card. Like it's not gonna be, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you know it's not going to be every fight because a lot of the fights I was looking forward to breaking down, fell through, um, Michelle Pereira versus Muslim Salikov. That one fell off. Um, a few other ones as well have been falling off this card as the days go by. So I don't want to jinx anything. I don't want to say any of the fights that I'm about to break down on this podcast are going to fall through in the next few days. I hope that's not the case. Knock on wood. But, um, I mean, we're just going to get into it. I got four fights I'm going to break down. So, like I said, not the longest podcast, not the longest in terms of analysis and breakdown, but we're going to get it out for you anyway. So, we're going to start off in the featherweight division. You've got a battle between Joe Anderson Brito, who comes into this fight with a record of 12 victories, two defeats, and one no contest, going up against Bill El Senor Perfecto Elgio, who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and six defeats. You know, I didn't know much about this Joe Anderson Brito going into this fight night, but I do know Bill Elgio, you know, El Senor Perfecto. He has a very, very um, unique style. He, he's kind of, I mean, I like to use this the analogy a lot and it somewhat works, but he's kind of like a, a Tim Elliott for the featherweight division, like a mixture between Tim Elliott and a dominant Cruz. but he has his own st- you know, his own style, his own stank on it. It's not the exact same thing. He doesn't move as recklessly, as those guys, but there's also areas in which, like a Tim Elliott is better, which in terms of takedown defense, in terms of scrambling ability on the mat, that is where um, Bill Elgio seems to um, fall short. And going up against this guy in Joe Anderson Brito, um, he had a fight on the UFC Contender Series. He got a victory. You know, he's had some good fights on the regional scene. This guy's a powerhouse, man. If there's one thing I can use, to describe Brito. It's a ball of energy, aggression, power, and violence. I mean, that's literally what this guy is. He's a short, stocky fighter, primarily fights out of southpaw. He comes forward. I mean, it's not really technical. He does have decent jabs from that southpaw stance. Sometimes he'll switch orthodox and throw that jab with the lead left hand, but Um, He does. He can work behind a jab, but a lot of the time it's right hook, left hook, left body kick, knees to the body, getting a hold of you in the body lock, just throwing you to the mat, looking to set up chokes, you know, guillotine chokes, trying to take your back, get a rear naked choke. He's got good grappling. He's got good Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I believe he may be a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I could be wrong, so don't quote me 100% on that. But he is a powerhouse, man. This guy is energetic. He's violent. He's got a lot of power. He loves to throw that southpaw body kick. Um, Bill Elgio likes to fight out of orthodox, but he'll switch stance a lot. He's what, what you'd like to call a switch stance fighter. He'll use that rear cross to... um Shoot Shoot that cross forward to step forward into the opposite stance, cut the opponent off, and then use his lateral movement, use his footwork, use his angles. He likes to use a lot of high kicks. Sometimes he'll switch from orthodox to southpaw. As he steps forward with the right leg, he'll throw that right side kick, then he'll switch... Then he'll move off with the um right outside foot if the opponent's an orthodox and he'll use that check right hook, the straight left hand. He has good knees up the middle. He caught Ricardo Lamas with knees a lot. He has good timing on it. You saw him catch Spike Carlisle as well. But one problem is he likes to give up his back. He gives up his back way too much. Now his takedown defense and his scrambling ability and his ability to get back up to the feet has gotten a lot better as his career has progressed. But he hasn't had the most success in the UFC. I think he's like one in three, one in four. Um, He had some close fights. The fight with Ricardo Lamas was close. He didn't get that one. He did beat Spike Carlisle. He had a fight with Ricardo Hamos where... Um, I think they scored it like 30-27 for Hamos. I just watched that before I did this breakdown, and there's no way he at least won one round. I even think he might have been able to edge it out, but due to the takedowns, and like I said, he's so wild and so reckless sometimes. He does fight technical, but he just has this weird style. You know, like I said, kind of like a Tim Elliott, you know, leaning forward with the shoulders, kind of shoulder rolling, switching his stances, shooting the straights to use that to disguise the stance switch and to get the other, the opposite angle on the opponent. You know, using a lot of front kicks and then side kicks from the, when he steps forward into the opposite stance, then steps back into the stance he was originally in. That is something that he likes to do a lot. I like his style. I think he's a tricky fighter. I think it's confusing for guys to pick up on. But the ability, the problem with him is he gives up his back too much. Like he gives up his back, he gives up these takedown attempts, and that is what loses him rounds. Now, I don't really think he has to worry about losing rounds against a guy like Joe Anderson Brito, but he does have to worry about giving up his back not only for the grappling and the Brazilian jiu-jitsu chops of a Joe Anderson. You know, he's got that heavy, powerful style. He can throw you. You know, you see him in some of his highlights. He can get lateral drop throws. He can get a hold of you in a body lock and toss you to the ground, step to the outside of your foot, use that outside trip, and just – throw you to the ground with all of his power. Brito's good on the feet. He's good on the grappling. He's the more well-rounded fighter. He also has the power. The technical advantage, even though Bill LGO isn't the most technical, he's more technical in his ability to strike on the feet than Joe Anderson. But the power, the violence, the the strength, and the recklessness, I think, is going to be too much for LGO to handle. He keeps his hands down really low. He's got good head movement, good ability to slip off the center line to the jab. But the hooks, the straights, um, the left body kick. Look for the body kick when um, Bill Elgio's in orthodox. It's going to be open for that southpaw body kick down the center. Um, look for him to throw that you know, early and often. When Elgio goes to catch the kick or crouch in, that's when he's going to you know, get a hold of him. Look to throw him to the ground and work his jiu-jitsu, work that top game from side control, get into the full mount. I think there's going to come a time when Bill Elgio's going to give up his back, um, You know, I think he's going to get hurt with those body kicks, hurt with those wild hooks on the feet later on in the fight. He's going to go to catch a kick. Um, Brito's going to be able to scramble out, use that you know, caught kick to get the back of Bill Elgio like he gives up in a lot of his fights. And then he's going to be able to work his way into getting the rear naked choke and getting the submission. So my pick is for Joe Anderson Brito to defeat Bill El Senior Perfecto Elgio via a second round rear naked choke submission. This is a fight I'm really looking forward to. I haven't seen much of Brito or Brito, Joe Anderson Brito, going into this fight night, so I'm excited to see where this fight goes, and I think he does get the victory here and improves to 13, 2, and 1. All right. Up next, we've got a fight. Sorry, give me a second. Okay. Sorry, I mean, I was chewing gum, so I'm sorry. That's not really professional. But up next, we've got a flyweight bout between top 10-ranked flyweight contenders. You've got the number 5-ranked Brandon Rod Dog Royval, who trains out of Factory X under Coach Mark Montoya. He comes into this fight with a record of 12 victories and 6 defeats. He's going up against the number 7-ranked Rogerio Bontarin, who comes into this fight with a phenomenal record of 17 victories, 3 defeats, and 1 you no know, contest. So, Rogério Bontarin is coming off of a decision victory over Matt Schnell. It was a close fight, but uh, I did, you know, Rogério Bontarin, his power on the feet, um, his ability to crowd the crowd the punches of Matt Schnell and land those wild, the the powerful straights and the hooks and the one twos down the center was really hurting him towards the end of the fight, and it was the volume along with the power that was hurting Matt Schnell and giving him the ability to get those takedowns and then work from the top position to seal that third round. Now, he did lose recently. He got knocked out by Kaikar France. You saw Kaikar France just dismantle Cody Garbrandt at UFC 269, and then he is going to be returning in March going up against Askar Askarov. So the winner of Askarov and Kaikar France is more than likely going to get the winner of Figueiredo versus Moreno three, which takes place at the next UFC pay-per-view, which is UFC 270. But, I mean, Brandon Royval, he's coming off of a loss in a fight against Alexandre Pantoja, who is, I believe, ranked number two or three in that flyweight division. And, um, you know, Royval looked good in that fight. He he fights primarily out of a southpaw stance. He, he's very, you know, hands down, hands low, you know, kind of moving his head, moving side to side, moving in and out. You know, he fights really, really awkwardly. He doesn't, he's not the most technical guy, but he can use his volume. He does have a pace and a pressure that he puts on guys and it makes them wilt. You know, that's the thing. You look at the fight with Kai Kaikar France. He is able to go wreck, get reckless and wild on the feet and use that volume and use that pace and pressure to tire these guys out because he can fall back on his phenomenal grappling. His Phenomenal Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He used it. He showcased it against Kai Car France using a spinning back elbow, catching Kai coming in after he hurt him with an overhand, and then you know using the scrambles and the knees up the middle. He's got very good knees. He'll fake the level change, come up the middle with the knee, and then he used that to lock up a arm and guillotine choke and get the submission on Kai Car France. He had a fight with uh, Brandon Moreno right before Moreno went to fight Davison Figueiredo. And um, he, unfortunately, that fight got stopped due to a shoulder injury, but it would have been interesting to see how that fight would have gone had Royval not gotten injured. I believe that was at UFC two, ooh, 250, maybe 250, 251. Nah, not 251. Well, you know, somewhere around there. And maybe it was UFC 250. I'm not 100% sure, but Royval likes to use that right hook on the opposite stanced fighter. So we're going to have orthodox versus southpaw here. Um, Rogerio Bantarin mainly fights out of an orthodox stance. Royval, Brandon, Raw Dog, Royval coming out in the southpaw stance. He's going to be looking to get the right outside foot on the lead left foot of. Rogerio Bontanin. Now, Bontanin is very good with the low kicks, the calf kicks, but going up against a southpaw fighter, he's going to have to attack the inside of the leg. And it's a little bit harder to set up those inside low kicks because you have to watch out for the straights down the middle. Royval has a good straight left, a good right hook. One, two, three, straight left, knees up the middle. He can switch stances. You know, he's very good. At mixing it up. But the best thing about Roy Vall is he throws himself into the fire. Now, against a guy who can fall back on the grappling like Rogerio Bontari, he's known primarily as a Brazilian jiu jitsu artist. He's known for being able to get you on the ground, get in the top position, find a way to work to your back, you know, find a way to get to the mount and just work his way for submissions and eventually try to get you out of there, take your back, get the submission. You look at the fight with. Uh, Brandon Royval had against Alexandre Pantoja. Early on, it was tough. He was getting caught a lot with the straight right hand of Alexandre Pantoja. Pantoja was stepping to the outside of that right lead foot, finding the center lane for that straight right hand. It was hurting him. He does have a tendency to get hurt. That is something that Royval is going to have to look out for against Bontarin because he is open for that straight right hand down the middle. And since Bontarin does have a good straight right, he's good with the one-twos, not so good with the hooks unless he gets you up against the cage and he can wind up with those vicious combinations, the hooks, the uppercuts, the straights. When he can get those combinations going, that's when he's dangerous. If you shoot on him, it's ill-advised. He can wrap up your neck. He can take your back. He can try to get a submission because, like we said, he has that jujitsu to fall back on. Roy Vall has more volume. He has more pace. He has more pressure. That pace and pressure is going to be the, the deciding factor for Roival against Bontanin. But the thing is, sometimes Roival will throw himself into the fire so much that he'll throw himself into danger and give up a fight. Not give it up like I think he quits, but he'll give up these positions that he doesn't have to give up, and it ends up costing him rounds. It ends up costing him the fight, like the one with Alexandre Pantoja. He was losing the first round. But he was able to scramble out a lot. He was able to uh, give up his back to avoid the arm triangle choke. And then he, when he, would, when he would get taken down, he would give up his back so he could avoid the arm triangle, then turn back in, shrimp his hips out, and work his way back up to the feet. He's very good at scrambling. I think it is – if it does hit the ground, I think it's going to be hard for Bontanin to be able to control him from the top position. You know, he's very scrambly. He's very – wild. He can roll for leg locks. He can, you know, work that X guard, roll for the, you know, work the Ashiganami game, work for the the leg locks, work for the chokes, work for the arm bars. You know, he can switch from triangle to arm bar, um, arm bar back to triangle, guillotine to arm bar. You know, he can switch submissions. He's very active off of his back, but sometimes he gives up his back in those positions. But I think he's good enough and defensive enough to not make those same mistakes. But it would not surprise me if we see Royval get up on the scorecards, be running away with the fight, and then he ends up in a scramble, gives up his back, and he ends up getting submitted because he's so reckless and so wild and so energetic. And that pace can sometimes be his downfall, like it was against Alexandre Pantoja. On the feet, though, um, I do think he's going to have to watch out for the right hand of Bontarine. He's going to have to make sure that he... Um, You know, works that outside foot, works those front kicks, works those knees up the middle, work the jab, the one, two, the one, two, three. Give a lot of volume so that Bontarin can't set up the one, two. He can't set up the jab. Make sure that you have him suffocating under so much pressure, under so much activity that he can't get going. But honestly, when it comes down to my pick for the fight, I'm going to go with Brandon Rod Dog Royval here. You know, I know I picked him against Pantoja and it looked like he was going to get the job done and he ended up losing. I've picked him a few times and He just doesn't seem to get the job done. But I'm going to back him again here. I just think that he's good enough. I think he's got... A really, really solid game. When you think of mixed martial artists, I think Brandon Royval is one of the most well rounded flyweights in that division. He's also awkward. He's also, like we said, he's got that weird style, the shoulder rolls, the in and out movement, you know, keeping the hands down low, using the head movement. One, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, knees up the middle. He can throw elbows from in close. Look for him to jab, throw an elbow. As you step in, he can throw elbows, knees, but he's got that jujitsu to fall back on. I just think he has a lot more weapons than Bontanin in the this fight, and I think that the activity, the pace, and the pressure is going to, you know, score him rounds, maybe get him a late finish. I could see a late uh, TKO finish for Royval, but I'm going to go with the decision, so I got Brandon Dog Royval defeating Rogerio Bontanin via 29-28 unanimous decision. All right, up next, we've got the co-main event of the evening. I know, only like 15 minutes in, and we're already to the co-main event, right? I said it was going to be a uh, shorter podcast here, but we actually have a rematch from UFC 244 taking place in the women's flyweight division. You've got the number two ranked. um, It's actually a battle between two former title challengers, both falling to the champion, which is no surprise in Valentina the Bullet Shevchenko, but one of them did have a slightly better performance, but it's the number two ranked blonde fighter, Caitlin Chukagian, coming into this fight with a record of 12 or 16 victories and four defeats, going up against the number four ranked Jennifer Maya, who comes into this fight with a record of 19 victories, seven defeats, and one no contest. Caitlin Chukagian in her last fight, I believe. Here, let's see. I believe her last fight was against okay, yeah, it was against Viviane, Viviana Rajo. Um, she won that fight via unanimous decision. Jennifer Maya is coming off of that win over Jessica I, I believe at UFC 262, or I'm sorry, it was a UFC fight night, let's see, UFC 264, I'm sorry, I can't even think straight, Uh, she had a decision victory over Jessica I. now going to decision with, yes, a UFC veteran, yes, a women's, a pioneer of women's MMA, I guess you would say, Um, but going to decision with Jessica I, it's, I mean, it's not the worst thing, because in the women's divisions, there's more finishes and more knockouts now as it continues to progress, But a lot of fights go to decision. So I don't really think you have to look into it too much. But, um, you know, these women have fought before. Like I said, they fought at UFC 244. And I'm going to be honest. I don't really see this fight playing out much differently than their first fight. In that fight, you know, you look at a girl like Jennifer Maya. And like I said, she had more success against Valentina Shevchenko than... um, Caitlin Chukage. and Chukagian didn't really get much of anything going. She had some decent combos on the feet, but she couldn't really land too much of anything. And then eventually just got outstruck on the feet and then taken down and um, worked from the top position. And I believe grounded and pounded or uh, ground and pound TKO. I could be wrong, but I believe it was a TKO. It could have been a submission, but I know it was finished on the ground. Um Jennifer Maya, she was being outclassed early in the fight, but the longer the fight played out, she was able to get down get on the inside. She was able to use that pace and pressure, use that um, you know, Mike Tyson, Bob and Weave style. She's a brawler, she's a boxer. She's a she's a Muay Thai brawler. She keeps those hands high at her chin, and she uses the, the bobbin weave, you know, slip, slip, roll, slip, slip, roll, and she uses those slips to time over the jab, come over the top of the left jab with the overhand right, come back with a left hook, come over the top of the right hand, one, two, three, boom, one, two, three, boom. You know, you look at the fight with Kaitlyn in the first fight that they had, and, you know, it was kind of an outclassing performance from Chukagian. Chukagian is very good. She's very technical. She's very crisp and clean on the feet. She likes to use a lot of traps. Sometimes she'll be an orthodox. She'll throw a right kick, step into southpaw, but then step back to orthodox, which is used not only to get you to direct into the power, but when you switch stance into southpaw on the orthodox fighter, you're going to get them to move towards your left, which is towards the power. But then when you switch back to orthodox as they circle, you're moving them back the opposite direction, which is going to square them up in the center, and it's going to have them on target for your punches down the center, for your attacks down the center. It's going to square up their hips as you use that um, switch stance. It's kind of, I believe Dan Hardy did a video on it. He calls it the rock step. It's not the exact same thing, but it's very similar. If you're in Orthodox and the opponents of Southpaw, you or if if you're both in Orthodox, right. And you're standing in front of each other, you want to be able to get that outside foot because when you're in Orthodox, you have the same weapons, the jab and the straight, right. Those are the same weapons for each other. When you switch Southpaw and you use that right hand, to, uh, measure the distance you're going to get the opponent to circle back towards your left side when you use that stance you switch stance, you're going to get them to move. When you move back into orthodox, as they move towards that left side, now you're making them move back towards the other direction, which is going to square them up for your original power in the stance that you're in, but it's also going to make them kind of freeze and make them square up. A lot of the best strikers use that, and Chukagian does that as well. She's very good with the fakes. She's very good with the feints. You know, faint the right hand, switch to southpaw, throw the front kick up the middle, step back into orthodox, One two. Jab, jab, one, two, hook, switch, front kick, switch back, one. High kick, use that high kick to step into southpaw, straight left hand, right hook, double jab. You know, she can constantly use a lot of fakes and feints. She sets a lot of traps, and it makes it harder for the opponent to, one, close the distance, and two, be able to land much of anything because you're always getting froze up. You're always having to hesitate because of the fakes, because of the feints, because of the footwork. It's going to be hard for Jennifer Maya, and it was hard in their first fight at UFC 244, like I said. It was basically a clear-cut decision win for you know, Caitlin Chukagian, she was keeping her behind the jab. She was landing a lot of high kicks. You know, she was switching stances, popping her with the jab. Jennifer Maya was just hands up, slipping, trying to come over the top of the jab with the right hand, the left hook, trying to close the distance. But it was hard for her to close the distance because when she would step in, she'd get hit with that side kick as she stepped into the southpaw. She'd get hit with that front kick up the middle, get hit with the knee up the middle. You can't move in when you're getting picked apart from range. And then when you try to step in, you're getting kicked hit With linear attacks, the front kicks, the teeps, the round kicks, the high kicks, you know, the jabs to the body, the jabs down the center. She just really couldn't get much of anything going. The best opportunity for Jennifer Maya to win this fight is going to be to use that head movement but instead of waiting on the outside and making it harder, you have to make it a dogfight. You have to kind of try to close the distance on Caitlin Chukagian, which isn't easy to do because she's such a technical fighter. She's so good at point fighting. She has such a good technical game. But you have to get her up against the fence And then you have to go for the body lock. You have to go for the over-under, switch the body lock, head on the inside, single, transition to head on the outside, go to double, work your way back up to the body lock. She has to grapple early and grapple often. It doesn't matter if you get tired. It does not matter. But if you get her to the ground and work from the top position and you can get that early when you still have energy, that is where Jennifer Maya is going to win this fight. If it stays on the feet, Chukagian picks her apart and pieces her up for 15 minutes just like the first fight. But if she can close that distance, use some more fakes Feints, maybe throw a kick, fake a kick, you know, pick that knee up and then use it to close the distance. Step into the opposite stance, shoot the takedown or go for the body lock up against the cage. She has to trap her up against the cage or shoot takedowns from the middle and then work her way to the fence to get the takedowns and work from that top position. If she gets on the ground, I do think that Jennifer Maya can get a submission. She's a good Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. She has good submission. She has good grappling. That's what she's known for. But she's fallen in love with her striking a little too much. And against a girl who's as clean, as crisp, as technical, as a Chukagian, it's not a game you want to play. And I think that um, if Maya can use, if Jennifer Maya can use the grappling early and often, she wins this fight. But I don't see it happening. I think it's going to be very similar to the first fight. I think we're going to get a point-fighting type of style. I think there are going to be some adjustments. I do think Maya will get her down, but I think she'll get her down towards the end of the round where she's not going to be able to do much, and Jukagian would have already put a lot of points in the bank with the jabs, the one-twos, the combinations, the kicks, and the volume throughout the rounds that she's not going to be able to steal the rounds. So I'm going to go with a 29-28 um, split decision. I think it's going to be close. I think there might be somebody who gives this fight to Jennifer Maya, but overall you're going to see a pretty clear cut performance for Chukagian, but you know, judges are kind of screwy sometimes. So I'm going to go with a 29, 28 split decision for Caitlin Chukagian over the number four ranked Jennifer Maya, but this is going to be a good fight. It is a rematch, but I expect it to play out pretty similar to their first fight. All right, and now we move to the main event of the evening. It's a battle in the UFC's featherweight division between the number 5-ranked Kelvin Cater and the number 8-ranked fighter training under Professor Rafael Codero out of King's MMA in the number 8-ranked Giga the Ninja Chikadze. Cater versus Chikadze, the winner could easily be one fight away from getting a title shot. Kelvin Cater obviously coming off of that, (laughs) I mean, dominant loss to Max Holloway in January of last year, Um, you know, so but I'm glad he took a year off. I think that the fact that Cater took almost a year off from, you know, in-cage competition to heal, to get ready, to to refine his game, to get, you know, to get everything together. I think that was the smartest thing that Kelvin Cater could have done. So I think that we're going to see a rejuvenated Kelvin, but it's going to be interesting. There are a lot of questions, you know, is Kelvin Cater's chin going to be the same? I doubt it. He He's always been able to take a hell of a beating, but I don't know if it's going to be the same after the beating he took from Holloway. But is his game going to be refined? Is there going to be small things that he makes adjustments on that we're going to see showcased against the former Glory kickboxer, you know, with over 50 fights in professional kickboxing, 14-2 and in professional mixed martial arts, undefeated in the UFC, in the number 8-ranked Giga the Ninja Chikadze. You know, Giga Chikadze is one of the best strikers in all of the UFC. And, I mean, he defeated one of the best strikers in the UFC and Edson Barbosa in his last fight and did it by finish, and it was a close fight. You know, I think that there is a lot of things misconstrued about that Giga Chikadze and Edson Barbosa fight. A lot of people think that Giga just ran through him. That's not what happened. It was a very, very close technical matchup until Giga was able to find the openings. Once Giga hurt Barbosa, the fight was over. Once he smelled blood, once he got him hurt, that's when it was ended. But up until that point, it was a very close technical chess match. Barbosa had a very good second round. You know, he was he was able to push Chikadze back up against the cage, which is where I think Kelvin Cater, his best work is going to be done up against the fence because you can see Giga does back up a lot, but he's good at countering off that back foot, countering off the back step, and backing up landing that switch kick to the body, what he likes to call the Giga kick, from Southpaw, which is going to be work very well against the Orthodox fighter in Kelvin Cater. Now, let's look at some of the stats before we get into the technical side of this fight, which I'm so excited for this fight. This is one of my most look forward to fights of the year. What a way to open up 2022 for the UFC. And um, Kelvin Cater is one of my favorite fighters. It's, two of, it's one of the best boxers in the UFC versus one of the best kickboxers and Muay Thai practitioners in the UFC. A striker's delight in the main event, and I'm so excited. But... Let's talk about the stats before we get into the technical side. So 22 and 5 for Kelvin Cater coming into this fight, 14 and 2 for Giga Chikadze. Kelvin coming off a loss, Giga coming off that win over Edson Jr. Barbosa. Um, Height, it's going to be a one inch height advantage for Giga Chikadze, 5'11 for Kelvin Cater, six feet for Giga. You've got a two inch reach advantage for Giga Chikadze, 74 inches to a 72 inch reach for Kelvin Cater. Leg reach is going to be a half inch leg reach advantage. It's not going to make a huge difference, but that half inch could make a difference when it's against probably the most dangerous kicker in MMA uh, in Giga Chikadze, 40.5 inch leg reach compared to 44 number five ranked Kelvin Cater. Katar- when you look at win percentages it's it's pretty close 50% of wins coming by way of knockout 9% by submission and 41 by decision for kelvin cater to 64% of wins coming by way of ko tko 7% by submission and 29 by decision for giga the ninja chakadze when you look at average fight time you've got 13 minutes and 31 seconds for kelvin cater a slight advantage in terms of in ring you know, in-cage octagon time compared to 11 minutes and 21 seconds of average fight time for Giga Chikadze. Now, knockdowns per a 15-minute fight, Giga gets almost one knockdown per fight. Kelvin, not not exactly. 0.49 knockdowns per a 15-minute fight for Kelvin Cater, to 0.99, basically just call it one knockdown per fight when it's a 15-minute fight for Giga Chikadze. Um, When you look at significant strikes, this is uh, a pretty interesting stat to break down. So Kelvin Cater lands 5.07 significant strikes per minute compared to 3.76 for Giga Chikadze. Um, 42% accuracy rate on the significant strikes. Giga has a little bit of an advantage with a 45% significant strike accuracy rate. When you look at strikes absorbed per minute, this was heavily skewed after that Max Holloway fight. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't look too much into the stats here in terms of strikes absorbed and striking defense just because, I mean, it was a clinic that Max Holloway put on Kelvin Cater, and it really did skew the striking stats and the stats going into this fight. So, 8.16 strikes absorbed per minute for Kelvin Cater. That's not, you know, it wasn't anywhere near that going into that Max Holloway fight. Um, a huge advantage for Giga Chikadze here, 2.69 strikes absorbed per minute. So, 2.69 Strikes absorbed per minute for Giga compared to 8.16 for Kelvin. But like I said, you can't look too much into it just because a lot of that was based off of his last fight against Max Holloway. Um, Significant strike defense or striking defense overall, 50% for Kelvin Cater. I believe it was closer to 60% before the Holloway fight, like we said, and then a 61% striking defense for Giga Chikadze. When you look in the grappling, um, I don't really expect to see a whole lot of grappling, but if the grappling is employed, I think it will be from Kelvin Cater up against the cage and then trying to strike off of the break up against the fence so he can unload the jab, the uppercuts, the, the hooks, and uh, the boxing combinations that we see, that we've come to know Kelvin Cater for. And when you look at that, sorry, give me one second. So it's 0.37 takedowns per 15-minute fight for Kelvin Cater, 0.33 for Giga Chikadze. Um, Takedown accuracy, like I said, neither of these guys are really shooting takedowns. 30% accuracy for Kelvin Cater to 33% for Chikadze. Um, Takedown defense is heavily on the side of Cater, which is why I think we might see him resort to the wrestling or at least use a takedown attempt to then strike off the break. Um, 89% takedown defense for Cater compared to 68% takedown defense for Giga Chikadze. Submission average, Cater doesn't go for any submissions. Um, You'll see Giga attempt submissions. He attempted an Anaconda choke and then switched it to a Darge choke against Barbosa. But 0.33 submission average for Giga Chikadze per a 15-minute fight. So let's get into the technical side. Um, I think a lot of people going into this fight are going to heavily count out Kelvin Cater. Um, And you know, you would be right. You wouldn't be wrong. Like, I don't think you're wrong to doubt Kelvin going into this fight. Um, He has always had trouble with guys who are very good with the kicking offense. You know, look at the fight with Hanato Moicano, chewing him up to the body, chewing him up to the inside and outside low kicks. And you know why? It's because Kelvin has a boxing heavy style. So you're going to be heavy on that lead leg set in your stance. You know, and then when you're heavy on your lead leg, you're open for the outside low kicks, you're open for the inside kicks. And once that lead leg is chewed up, it's harder for you to push off for your boxing offense. And if Kelvin doesn't have that jab, if Kelvin doesn't have that cross, if Kelvin doesn't have the one, two, three combination or the three, two, then a lot of his offense is taken away from him. So look for Giga to, if he's in Orthodox, chop that calf kick, chop to the outside low kick. That's gonna take away the jab, slip at it, slip inside the jab you know, chop across with that outside low kick, slip inside, jab, hook, outside low kick. He's going to chop those low kicks. Um, with Giga Chikadze, you know, he's very technical in his striking. He, he uses a lot of basics, but basics win world championships, but he's so good at the things that he does. When he's an orthodox, he looks to go with the outside low kick, and every once in a while, he'll throw that hide kick. But his best kick is from the southpaw position. And on an orthodox fighter like Kelvin Cater, that outside lead leg from the southpaw stance, right foot on the outside of the lead left leg is going to open up the giga kick, which is the left kick to the body. It's the best weapon for a southpaw against an orthodox fighter, and it's also one of the most dangerous weapons for Giga Chikandze. You saw him landed on Jamie Simmons. He landed, boom, a left kick to the body, and then, boom, he set it up like he was going to the body, came up to the head, dropped him, and got the finish. You saw him use this same kick against Cub Swanson. He got that outside foot, uh, right outside foot on the lead left foot of Cub Swanson. Boom, left kick to the body. That was it. It only took one Cub, Cub Swanson, keeled over, you know, curled up, and the fight was over. So this fight is going to be, or this weapon is going to be, you know, paramount for Chicanze up against a boxing-heavy style fighter in Kelvin Cater. So that left kick to the body, the right outside low kicks, the left high kick, all those kicks are going to be the best weapons for Giga. Now, for Kelvin Cater, now, I said that the Edson Barbosa fight, I think a lot of people skewed the performance of Giga, Because he did get a finish, yes. Once he hurt him, it was over. You know, Once he smelled blood in the water, that was it. And he he can pour it on and pour it on and pour it on. Kelvin Cater is a durable guy. He can take a lot of damage. And that's not something you want to be known for. You don't want to be known for taking a lot of damage. But I think we've seen Giga slow down as the fights go on. And the fact that this is a five-round fight, Kelvin has fought 25 minutes before. Kelvin has been in the 25-minute fights. He fought 25 minutes against Dan Ige. You know, he he fought 25 minutes against Max Holloway, even though that fight should have been stopped a lot earlier. But he still did it. You know, and um, he was able to make it through. It shouldn't have gone on as long as he did. He took way too much damage, but he still made it through. He's a tough, durable guy. Kelvin is a tough son of a bitch, and that you know, you you just can't say anything different. Um, I think that Kelvin is going to be better off. One countering off the back foot, if Giga um, tries to shoot in, sometimes he'll... Rush in and overextend on his right hand or overextend on his straight left, and he'll just bum rush you and try to catch you. If he overextends on Kelvin, look for Kelvin to pull back and come up the center with that rear uppercut. Look for him to pull back, rear uppercut, lead uppercut, left hook to the body, slip off, left hook to the body, left hook up top to the head, or um, left hook to the body, and then he disguises it, goes down like he's ripping to the body, and then comes up with a left hook or shovel hook to the head. So it looks like you're lowering your level to the body but he, he lowers his level to then throw that same punch that he threw to the body, to the head, so you think it's going low, you drop your hand, boom, you're open up, then he comes over with the right hand, follows up with the left hook, boom, 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 he's very good at tying his combinations together, and once Kelvin gets into a rhythm, that is when he's his most dangerous, something that Giga Chikadze can't, you know, let Kelvin do is get into a rhythm. So what he has to do is use a lot of fakes and feints, use a lot of inside and outside low kicks, fake the kick, step into southpaw, check right hook, straight left hand, left. fake the left body kick, step back to orthodox, one, two, switch to southpaw, boom, left body kick. You know that left body kick, the southpaw kick, the front kick to the body. Body work for Giga Chikadze is going to be the key for him here. The left kick to the body, the Giga kick, the left inside low kick, you know. That's going to be the keys for him. From the orthodox stance, it's chopping that outside leg, getting that lead leg heavy so Kelvin can't push off for his jab. He can't enter range with the jab, the 1-2, one, the one-two-three, you know. But one thing I notice is Giga does have the tendency to get backed up. He's still good off the back foot, but against a guy like Kelvin – who can use these fakes and feints, who can, like we said, we talked about the rock step. We talked about how they'll switch into southpaw and then switch back to orthodox to square up your hips so you're stuck in the position where they want you to be. Kelvin is very good at that. He used it a lot in the fight against Dan Ige. He used it primarily in the fight against Zabit Magomed Sharipov. And I think the fight against Zabit is a very good, is a very good, you know, study material and a very good piece of, of, uh, fight footage to watch leading into this fight with Giga. Giga is a lot more explosive. He has a lot more power, but I think that Um, Zabit is a lot more flashy with his style, but they have very similar styles, just Giga is more of a finisher, he has more power, and he's more explosive. So you can't play around as much with a Chikadze as he could with a Zabit, because the, the threat for the finish is there a lot more in this fight against Chikadze than it was against Zabit. But you see a lot of the time, sometimes Giga will overextend on the punch, whether it's a right hand or a straight left from Southpaw, he'll run in and rush in if he thinks he has you hurt. And that's where Kelvin can slip step back, jog back and throw that rear uppercut. He's very good at timing the opponent overextending, lowering their level and coming into the uppercut. Look for him to use that. If Giga tries to use his boxing a little bit more than he should against Kelvin, when it comes to the kicks, the way that Giga throws his body kicks and his head kicks, um, It's not a traditional Thai style where they're going to pivot on the lead foot and drive through, turn their hips over, and come through like a baseball bat. He kind of comes up on an upward trajectory. It's an upward angle. So it's almost like you're throwing a front kick, but he's throwing it in a round kick motion. So he's coming up. It's coming up. It's not coming across. It's coming up. So it's digging into the body. It's a quicker it's a quicker trajectory. It's a quicker path to the target, but it's a lot harder to see. And you can disguise the body kick to the head kick, the inside low kick, and then boom, follow up with the body, chop the outside, boom, come up to the body. He comes up on an upward angle instead of pivoting on that lead foot. And then, you know, coming across like a baseball bat, it's an upward kick. So those are harder to catch. And the thing is they sneak in to your defense, they get through your defense a lot easier than a traditional tie style round kick because it's coming up on that upward angle. It's able to slip into those that slight, you know, piece of space between your elbow and your body. So when you go to block the body shot, usually you like to you know, lower your elbow, keep your elbow tight to your body, it's able to sneak in between your body and that elbow when it's coming up on that upward angle. So that is something that Kelvin's going to have to look out for. But I think that if Kelvin uses his jab a lot, tries to get that jab in the face of Giga, uses those fakes and feints, you know, use those hand feints like he did against Lamas. Use those hand feints. Fake and feint you know, the longer the fight goes, the more it plays into the favor of Kelvin Cater. If it goes into the third, the fourth, and the fifth, I could see Kelvin banking the fourth and the fifth round or getting a late finish in the fourth and the fifth. I think if it was a three-round fight, I would be leaning a lot more heavily towards Giga. And I do think that Giga is a dangerous fight. It's a dangerous, dangerous matchup for Kelvin. Probably one of the worst matchups you could give him But Kelvin is also one of the most dangerous fights you could give to a guy like Giga Chikadze. Yes, he's open for a lot of kicks. Yes, he has trouble with kickboxers. But you know what? There's there's areas of Giga Chikadze's game that Kelvin Cater can take advantage of, and that's what makes this fight so good. That's what makes this fight so interesting. You know, I think that... um, The fact that Giga does back up, he can get backed up. He's very good at striking off the back foot, firing that left body kick, firing that left high kick, you know, firing the straight punches, the straights to the body, switching to southpaw, throwing the right hook, the straight left, coming over the top of the jab and orthodox with the overhand right. He's good at mixing up his boxing. He's very quick. He's very explosive. But I think that Kelvin can, he's going to have to go through the fire. He's going to have to get through the storm of the first round and a half, two rounds. It's going to be hard, but I do not think Giga is going to finish Kelvin unless it's with a body shot. But you have to look at Kelvin Cater as well. Kelvin has some of the best body work, and he sets it up the best out of anybody. And Giga Chikadze was getting hit. With a lot of straight punches from Edson Barbosa, as well as getting hit to the body a lot. That is something that Barbosa was able to do very well. He was able to push Giga back to the cage. He was able to land a lot of shots to the body, whether it was the straights or the hooks to the body. That's where Kelvin's gonna do a lot of work. I think we're gonna see him fake the jab, throw the jab one, one, two, throw the cross to the body, one, two, hook to the body. Fake the cross, left hook to the body, left hook up top. One, two, overhand right, dig that left hook to the body, left hook up top to the head. We're going to see a lot of the body work from Kelvin Cater pushing Giga Chikadze back, getting him up against the cage. He is easily backed up. He is easily backed up. Barbosa was able to get in his face and back him up. Kelvin is going to be able to do that same thing as long as he can get through the fire of those early rounds. If you back up the kicker, if you don't give the kicker enough space to get full extension on their kicks and they have to throw them out ill-advised and throw them out at the range they don't want to, it leaves them open for counters and it also makes them more susceptible to, to um, heavy shots because they'll throw their kick and they're off balance because it's not at the range they need to be to throw the kick they want to throw. Um, I think it's a close fight. I do think it's a, it's a tough fight for Kelvin, man. I think that the left body kick, like I said, the inside and outside low kicks, the kicking game of Chikadze is going to be a big problem. But I'm going to go against the grain here. I'm going to go against the um, – I don't see anybody really picking Kelvin Cater here. And I could see why because of his last performance and all the damage he took. But I'm picking Kelvin Cater here, man. I think Kelvin Cater's going to get a late finish against Giga Chikadze. I think it's going to be, I'm going to think I think either late third or fourth round. I'm going to go with a fourth round TKO finish here for Kelvin Cater over Giga Chikanze to get back into the win column. And I think that you have to look at his last few fights. Yes, he's very good. Yes, he's extremely explosive. Yes, the power. And the technique is insane. The speed on his kicks, unbelievable. But he does get backed up. The later the fight goes, I think Giga moves so much that the plotting forward style of Kelvin, yes, it's going to have him take a lot of damage early on, but it's going to be able to make him, you know, make those reads. He's very good at countering the opponent mid-combination where they'll throw one or two, throw a kick, and he'll come back with a counter right after. One, two, pull back, rear uppercut. One, two, pull back, lead uppercut. Lead hook to the body, lead hook up top to the head. Boom, boom, cover, cover, left hook, left hook up top. He does have a tendency to use that high guard boxing style, but he's very good at throwing punches and then going right back to his guard. Now, he wasn't doing so well against Max Holloway, but he did pretty good with that against Zabit, and I think we're going to see a little bit of a similar game plan to the Zabit-Magomed-Shadipov fight. And this is five rounds, not three like the Zabit fight. Um, I do think is a different fighter, like we already explained, but it's still... You know, I think this is a fight that Kelvin's going to win. I think that he's going to invest in the body. I think once he starts going to the body on Giga, it's going to open up the head. It's going to make those kicks a little bit harder for Giga to throw. He's going to lose the first round. He's probably going to lose the first two rounds. But I think towards the midpoint of that third round, the beginning of that third round, the end of the second... That's when Kelvin's going to start to pick it up. That's when Kelvin's going to be able to cover and counter with the uppercuts. Cover, counter with the overhand, counter with the left hook, counter with the left hook to the body. You know, left hook to the body, left hook up top. Boom, 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 boom. You know, mixing up the combinations. One, two, left hook to the body, left hook up top. Dip, left hook to the head, right hook, left hook, right uppercut. Boom, boom, right overhand, lead uppercut, rear uppercut, backing up. Um, He likes to use that front kick a lot. I think we might see Kelvin fake the front kick, step into southpaw, um, when Gig is in Orthodox, then switch back to Orthodox to square him up, get him up against the cage, and then unload with the jab. Fake, 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 boom, 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 boom. rip to the body, boom, 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 If you get him in the boxing range, if you can get past those kicking ranges, which he's going to be able to do by using that switch to southpaw, switch back to Orthodox to square up the opponent, get him up against the cage and work his combinations. I think we're going to see him invest in the body. The body work of Kelvin's going to make, Giga drop his hands. He's going to be open for that hook cross up top. He's going to land it on Giga Chikadze and he's going to get the TKO finish. So, my pick is Kelvin Cater to defeat Giga Chikadze via a fourth round TKO. All right. That's going to be it for my predictions for UFC Vegas 46 Cater versus Chikadze. I hope you guys enjoyed these predictions. They're out a little bit earlier than normal. You know, we got two back-to-back episodes done on the podcast pretty good this week. We're back on track, and um, I can't wait for this fight. This main event is absolutely phenomenal. The fight with... Royval and Bontarin is going to be a great fight as well. Elgio versus Brito, phenomenal fight. There were some other fights we were supposed to have on this card that we already kind of discussed, but a lot of this card has fallen apart, but we still have the best fight on the card. A fantastic main event in that featherweight division. Cater versus Chikadze is going to be one of the most high-level striking matchups you'll ever see, and it's a phenomenal main event to start 2022. 2022 is going to be the year of double M and the touch em up podcast. We are going to go harder than we ever went. We are going to make the biggest progress we've ever made. We are going to make have the most interviews we've ever done. I'd like to interview a UFC champion this year. That's one of my goals. And I think we can do it. Um, I'm really excited to get these new podcasts, get some new interviews, get some more breakdowns, get my YouTube channel going. I'm ready to put more work in than I ever have. Remember, you guys also have to help me out. Get these podcasts out to anybody you know who's a fan of MMA or professional wrestling or boxing or any type of combat sports. That's your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, your coworkers, people you go to school with. Anybody you know who's a fan of MMA or professional wrestling. Get them to listen to the Touch Em Up podcast. It's available on any podcast platform. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker. Anywhere you can get your audio podcasts, you can get the Touch Em Up podcast. And please be sure to leave a review for my podcast on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you can leave a review. Make sure to give us that five stars, hit it with a five-star frog splash, and get the Touch Em Up podcast to be the best, number one MMA podcast in the world. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?